Conversations with Leaders is a podcast focused on the intersection of business and technology. Today, we're talking about the role of security in product development. According to Bill Shin, AWS Senior Principal in the office of the CISO, security isn't done just because a project ends or a service gets launched. Join us now as Clark Rogers, Director of AWS Enterprise Strategy, chats with Bill about how to ensure your products and services stay secure before and after launch. Bill, thanks so much for joining me sure. today. Sure, anytime. Good to see you again. Nice to see you. So um, tell me a little bit more about you know your background and how you came to AWS and, and what your current role is. Sure. Yeah, it's uh, 10 years next week. Uh, oh, wow. I came here uh, from banking mostly, about 12, 12 years in pretty large banks. Um, some are now customers as well. I was the security person for this pretty significant financial institution. And, and I recall now that like security wasn't necessarily a... Uh, rigorous professional discipline. There weren't. I mean, there was still there was education and training and certifications a little bit, but it was pretty early in the in the industry. Sure. Um, so I just got to do everything. I was dealing with the NCOA audits, federal audits, um, security awareness training, running the firewalls and switches, and uh, all the log management, threat detection, all the things. Um, and and you know, security was a little little wild west back then. I think there was um, things that you know we didn't know, even know potentially could happen. So learned a lot on that job. Uh, and then I, I moved into larger banks uh, progressively. But um, yeah, and then a bunch of people I'd worked with over the years uh, in various capacities at various jobs, a couple of them had landed at AWS. And so this is uh, pretty interesting. And at the time, um, I worked at a, at a pretty large financial institution. And it was really challenging to get uh, security work done because of the uh, kind of just the procurement model, okay. mostly. Uh, and the long tail of capital expenditure. So you buy hardware for three years, it depreciates, but it's, um, so you have to make a very, very rigorous buying decision. There wasn't really a lot of opportunity for experimentation. Um, there was very little room for failure because you're buying you know, millions of dollars of, of expense. And if you get it wrong, it's, it's you're kind of stuck with it. Um, the other part of that was, you know, security, the landscape changes so quickly, the threat landscape, the regulatory landscape and the business you're supporting or the mission. Um, and you have to stay current. You have to stay on, on the most modern ways of approaching security problems. And so if you do that with three-year-old hardware, there's software updates, but you're still kind of stuck with where, where you are when you buy it. So I, I said, well, maybe we should do this on the cloud. And so I, so I joined the cloud and, right. and said, hey, let's bring the U.S. financial system into a place where they can modernize safely. They can experiment. They can benefit from the innovation that the cloud provider um, AWS provides. And um, with that goal uh, in around 2012, it, it took a lot to get the financial services customers to adopt the cloud. We we need to change the way we do business. Um, we need to understand their their needs uh, more deeply. Mm -hmm. And I kind of had the background, I think, to help AWS do that. So you joined AWS as a solution architect. I did, as the first security solution architect. Uh -huh. And um, I started as the first specialist solution architect and um, in security. And talked to all the customers, because every customer wanted to talk to us about security. Uh, and over the course of... Um, those first five years, I, I worked with a lot of our, our large, globally uh, significant financial institutions uh, to understand their needs, to listen, to admit, uh, help work internally with our legal teams and regulatory teams um, to help shape kind of how we approach those really uh, regulated markets. Mm -hmm. uh, it was also pretty timely. Uh, there were some changes to the uh, to HIPAA and high tech laws and, and regulations around that time. And so we were being asked to sign business associate agreements from our healthcare customers. We had a lot of really early genomics workloads. We had um, some kind of disruptive type uh, 
electronic medical record. We had a lot of medical imaging storage that when there's a lot of PHI that people wanted to put on the cloud. Mm -hmm. And so we needed to do the work um, to be able to support those workloads as well. So I was kind of with a with small team of people in sales and, and some of our security assurance team and legal. And that, that was a, a real, real uh, opportunity to learn about the healthcare industry. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I think over those five years, I'd done a significant amount of executive briefings to CISOs and CIOs of our customers and uh, was was working really closely with AWS Security. Um, but I think I wanted to be a little closer to to where that, that work occurs internally. And so uh, having worked with Steve Schmidt, our CISO at the time for, for years, uh, kind of took what I was doing uh, and I had built up a field technical community, too. I, I'm currently still the, the worldwide technical leader for our security technical field community. Um, that's the, the professionals out in our sales field, like solution architects uh, that are focused on security to help our customers. So I kind of wanted to lead that, but from within AWS security. So I, I talked to Steve and we created the office of the CISO. And for a little while there, it was just me. And we, the team grew to a small, small number of people that it is now. But customers want to talk to the people that are doing the security work. And so to be closer to that work, I moved into AWS security to really understand our security operations processes, our application security processes, how we think about culture and enforcing security uh, you know, properties and getting people to want to, to do security right. It is the top priority here, and, and I've seen a lot of mechanisms and observed a lot of things now having spent about five or six years inside of AWS security that I think uh, our customers want to hear about, mm -hmm. and uh, they want to hear about it to trust us. But I think the conversation significantly changed at about the five-year mark. It just became much less about trusting the cloud, although that's that's still you know I think first principles, but we have so many assurance programs. We've done so much work to... Uh, be really clinical and precise about how we secure the cloud with our customers, that now the conversation is very much about how do I succeed on the cloud with my security program? And how do I benefit from the cloud? And I would agree with you 100% that even in the time I've been in AWS, not quite as long as you have, yeah. uh, the, the initial conversations were about, is the cloud secure? Mm -hmm. And now the conversations are, how fast can I adopt it, yeah. right? The, 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 is it secure or not is, is no longer in the in the vernacular. So let, let's go a little bit deeper into the role of the office of the CISO. Sure. So it there, there seems to be a uh, customer facing element to it, but then there's also an internal facing uh, side of it. Can, can you talk about maybe perhaps how a customer conversation ends up with a internal conversation and what the outcome could look like? Yeah, that happens a lot. Uh, a couple of different ways. One is a you know, customer could come with a, kind of an escalated request for information. So something that we maybe haven't needed to share before. Um, and they wanna know something about the internals of AWS. And, and our office is really there to make sure that uh, that that answer is meets their needs. That we're digging deep enough with our, our service teams internally to give them the information they need to make informers decisions. And that's kind of the, that, that left right flow of information is sort of um, part of our office's responsibility. I think it's also to represent the voice of the customer in how we uh, think about security, and, and we certainly have other mechanisms for that as well. But I think the field community that I lead is a, is a fantastic source of where the trends are going, of what customers need, not just from a product and services perspective, but how we should operate as a partner in the industry. And so that that function of taking feedback from customers and providing it to our assurance functions. Also, customers expect our services to behave in a certain way. Right. And so that that customer security expectations, you know, we kind of work to put that into our proactive security work internally. There is a lot of product feature requests and kind of shared innovation with customers that comes through our 
um, our function and we work with our, our other service teams outside of AWS security um, when that has a, an element of, of, of risk management and security. So you, you mentioned trends in the industry, right? Uh, from, from cloud adoption and I guess, you know, specifically with the security risk or compliance bent. Mm-hmm. What are you seeing? What, do, what, what are the customers coming to you these days more often than not? You know, it's always kind of goes back to the basics, I think. Uh, how do you do the same things better? And how do you innovate in incremental ways? Uh, ransomware and other trends, you know, that are kind of in the media, it's really hygiene. It's, it's typically a, an opportunity for better security awareness, which is usually the vector that the ransomware things that are, it's kind of a, a buzzword trend. Sure. Um, it's a, it's a combination of, of security awareness opportunities to improve as well as hygiene for patching systems and detective controls that would help you identify issues. Um, those fundamentals really haven't changed. Uh, I think the speed is, has always been a, a big part of the conversation. How do you move faster as a security program without compromising your risk management decisions and without making trade-offs, but keeping the business moving. Um, that That is a constant trend that customers want to hear about. Helping customers move fast, I think part of it is having security in the sprint planning, having them at the table in design decisions, um, distributed security as well. I think you'll hear a lot of Amazonians talk about that where a security team can't own all the security. Our top priority is security and it is everyone's job. And there's mechanisms here that make sure that's true, always. That most of the service teams have security engineers or security guardians at least as they grow because they know that they can't continue to ship code if they're distracted by security issues. And so, you know, we want to find everything we possibly can before we ship a service. And, but it's, it's not a project. Right, you're not starting and finishing. You own that service once it's live, and you need to plan for how you're going to maintain it, right. how you're going to patch it, how you're going to deal with emerging vulnerabilities and defects, and you have to be able to do it quickly. Um, and that I find a lot of times the blocker for customers is not um, a lack of skill or a lack of technology. It's often uh, the financial structures and the the staffing models that are needed to move to like a modern way of of doing security along with the DevOps and agile and continuous integration, very like lots of deployments every day that you kind of have to plan for the unplanned. Okay. And so how you, how you justify headcount in, in a, in a, in a service that's going to last forever. Right. So as the service grows, it becomes more complicated. Um, and, and you need to do more hygiene. Like you need to retire technical debt. And it's not just always build new features, build new features. It's make it more robust, make it more resilient, you know, find ways to improve the efficiency and the cost of that. But also, how do you keep the hygiene? Because security atrophies over time and defects are discovered, ciphers break, uh, you know, security researchers discover things. So you have to have a way and staff and and you have to plan for that. And so sometimes if they don't have um, either a model for the application security teams and the security functions to scale along with the growth of the development functions, then they're then they're at a loss for resources or the teams that are now responsible for security, those teams need to pick up some of the resource responsibility for patching, for uh, scaling, for retention, for a lot of the things that um, I think traditional maybe finance models didn't always plan for. And I think people have finally realized that there's a diversity of jobs in the security and risk management business. There's compliance, there's security assurance, there's training, there's, um, you know, even IT audit, I think is kind of a, a piece of that world. Um, there's obviously engineering, there's a lot of operations functions that require a certain skill set. And so having all those functions be at the table, I think, um, is helpful. It helps you move faster, honestly, because they're, they're going to have their stakeholders and the earlier they're involved, the better. We hope you're enjoying this discussion. 
To join the conversation and engage with other business leaders on these topics, follow us on LinkedIn at AWS Executive Connection. So let, let, let's go down that uh, path for a minute. Once a security professional has joined AWS, whether it's an AWS security or as a sales solution architect or mm-hmm. whatever the case may be, what kind of uh, growth opportunities do they have once they're here? There are so many roles in security, Clark. I think we have the traditional functions you'd find in most security programs, at least within AWS security. We have to manage vulnerabilities. We have security assurance and all of our compliance programs. But we encourage people to move around, try new things. Uh, you know, if sometimes we pe- we have people that work in proactive security or, or application security team that does security reviews for services and features. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they'll go work on a service team for a while. Oh, wow. And, and learn about um, what it's like to be a builder. And and we're all kind of builders, especially the security folks. But the people in the service teams, they're operational readiness requirements are very high. The rigor of engineering in, in the service teams is is extremely um, detailed. And we strive for perfection. Uh, we, we rarely, rarely have the same issue twice. Um, and we deep dive on these things. But I think going back and forth like that gives a real, um, I think, an empathy and, and a, a better understanding of what our builders need to do um, to be successful and fast. And then they take that knowledge and bring it back to the AWS security. That's a, a pretty common opportunity. The security world is so big. In this, in, even in the sales organization, we have people move back and forth to AWS security. Um, they want to talk to our customers more. So we certainly make opportunities for our internal security people to talk to customers, but it's not their, their primary job. And sometimes they go to our customers, right? And then they work <laughs> to see what it's like to be an AWS customer for a while, and then they come back. Right. We want our people to, to feel like they can learn here. And so we create a lot of opportunities for, we have internal conferences. Um, we, we run our own external security conference called Reinforce. Um, but I think there's there's ample opportunity for people to grow their careers here. So uh, a lot of our customers, you know, they're, they're, they're all over the map from a uh, cloud adoption and maturity perspective. Mm-hmm. We, we have some that are just starting out and they're applying security in the console. Yeah. And then we have the, the far other end where infrastructure and security is code and everything yeah. is going through a pipeline. Um, if, if we look at the latter as being uh, the goal for many customers, right, mm-hmm. to get to that level of automation, mm-hmm. what kind of advice do you give customers who are just starting out to, to, see, to see what that end result could be without making it too intimidating, right, sure. and get them adopting step-by-step step so they're actually moving that quickly? I'll answer that in a couple of ways. Uh, the first is, I think... Just recently, in the last few years, I, f- I think security organizations, like industry-wide, are finally understanding what it takes to build and deliver and ship software in a, in a rigorous way, rather than just you know taking software packaging and clicking through an installation in a console, right. being able to do infrastructure automation, being able to deploy through continuous integration and deployment. Um, if most of the people in the security industry did not come up through software development, and the, and that part that factory has really evolved, so understanding. Um, and specifically to security people, how would they go from you know doing something simple in a single account in the console to immutable infrastructure that you know does thousands of deployments to twenty four regions a day, right? Um, you have to bring people along in their learning. You have to invest in training and education, but I think showing it, showing them what it looks like, like it's walk the factory floor if you want, to, whatever you want to call it, but um, having. The CISO, if they're not familiar with modern software development or people that are responsible for making risk decisions about go, no go, they should sit with the engineering teams and watch them do deployments for a little while. Watch them do sprint planning. Watch them do their stand-ups. Think about, look at their how they prioritize their backlog. Look what it look what they have to do both with automation or with manual steps 
to just kind of walk a mile, I think. Mm-hmm. That 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 opens a lot of doors. It sets off a lot of light bulbs of, of the security team then understanding kind of how they can fit into that. When you're starting out, there is a there is a point at which, you know, using the console and document, it just, it's, it's a natural immersive learning experience, right. workshops and getting started guides. And there's that learning and kind of lab experimentation environment. I, I think one of the things that, that to hold the line on when you talk to your business about who's, you know, the people paying for the development, right? Um, is you have to build things in at the into their expectations, right? You can't say we're going to deliver these features if you don't also accommodate the things like rigor, right? Like like testing and coverage and um, scaling and and certainly security, right? I mean, there's a whole bunch of properties in there that you need to make sure are accounted for as a product manager or the interface to the business. Sure. And if they don't understand that, it's your job as a CISO to explain the importance of these things so they fund it. And you have to do it in a way in their terms. So speaking about not, you know, CVEs and 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 bugs and, you know, firewall rules and all the things that we talk about internally, but you have to talk about what it means to not ship a widget or to have their brand, I mean, their brand and what that specifically means. And sometimes it's hard to predict revenue, but if you talk in their terms, those are things that are tangible. I like guess real world tangible examples of why you need to build those things in. Um, you don't want to use scare tactics or FUD. I think being precise and clinical and talking about things that things that tend to make the news. They have heard of Log4J or Heartbleed or you know some of these um, large scale ransomware attacks affecting a lot of municipalities. But using those not in in alarmist terms, but talking about what investments needed to be made to avoid that from happening, right? right? And to prevent that, a lot of it is going back to the basics about hygiene. And I think customers ask me a lot, like, what's the you know the one thing you can do for security or what's the best tool or it's like one of the best strategies for security is modernization get your code modern measure measure with with specificity uh and detail how fresh the software packages are right right? like how often do you import from the main branch of code how often do you get a new package and import it and you have you're on the latest version because if something comes out um that's a defect, right? A zero day, and and or and then there's a patch available. How how many versions do you have to go through, right. and test, and and potentially you know rebuild a build process uh, before you can get on that version that's patched? And the business risk that's involved. And the business risk that's involved. So so that time, and you can you can learn from past issues similar to that. They will happen again, right. uh, and being better prepared to to weather that storm, if you will, um, I think is important. But that that's kind of explaining that to the business with real tangible examples and and. You know, not coming back to the well when the crisis is is happening, right? So it's you know it's clear that you know humans make up security teams, humans make mistakes. Uh, what kind of mechanisms do do you put in place, or does AWS Security put in place to sort of catch these mistakes and make sure that they are one offs and people learn from them and uh, never happen again, so to speak? Yeah, the more we can automate, the better. Um, and even with automation, if you don't predict the right canaries or the right failure modes, those the robots can fail too. I don't like the terms like insider threat. It's kind of a trend in this in the security space. Too. But I think if you're talking about you're talking about your employees sure. and your coworkers, and and yes, risks exist, but there is a human and there is a human factor there. Um, but let's make it human, right? Not uh, tr- assuming that everyone around you is a bad actor. I think uh, the security industry. And I think I mentioned this a little bit earlier. I think it's evolved to be assuming best intentions, I think, between between what we can safely assume are, are good faith actors, right? And so I think most people, when they come to work, 
they want to do their job and they want to keep data safe and they want to be customer obsessed and earn trust with our customers. And that's, that's I assume that they do, right? Uh, otherwise, they wouldn't have been hired, probably. And it's it's a different problem if, if we can't assume that safely. Going from that that position of not implicit trust, but but assuming good intentions and good faith. Sure. People make mistakes. I've made some good ones. Uh, but how you learn from it and how how you react is similar to being a parent. I mean, it's it's how you how you react, right? Is you you it's it can be blameless, right? If it's if it's more than you know several times in the same mistake, it's kind of a performance issue. But if it's a mistake that they didn't have the appropriate training, they didn't have the appropriate tools to do their job, they were under the you know, pressure and deadlines. They, there's always a, a kind of a not an excuse, but an explanation for why that mistake was made. And it's it's not always that person's fault if they weren't supported in the correct way. If the tools don't work, if the user experience is not simple and is too high of a bar to be secure in the way they do their business, we, we it's our, our responsibility to work with those business functions and help them invent and simplify a way to be more secure and, and reduce the number of mistakes that are even possible. Right. So I, I think for, for engineers, a lot of that is automation, you know, putting things through pipelines with appropriate test coverage. Um, for business analysts and users, a lot of it is, uh, you know, data classification controls and making sure that they know what data they're working on and what the responsibilities are for that data. Um, things like, you know, email mistakes, sending the right thing to the wrong person, or right. um, our technical support and customer support functions, you know, have they deal with a lot of customers. And so you have to build the scaffolding around to make it safe and easier to do their job. Um, also, you know, having a culture of escalation here is is so non-threatening. It is encouraged to escalate appropriately. But um, yeah, I, I think that that blameless culture, that culture of escalation, um, it really, it, it's, it's, it, it's a mech, they're mechanisms that ensure that security remains the top priority here. Bill, thanks so much for joining me today. Sure. Thanks a lot, Clark. Good to see you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Conversations with Leaders, brought to you by AWS Executive Insights. If you enjoyed this episode, please help us spread the word and subscribe, share, rate, and review. 